This Kendra is where they make their mark. This is the time where you've got to turn the table. You've got to take advantage and ride this wave in this momentum. Look out! Hello there, welcome to the Minnesota United Match Preview Show. Callum Williams here, the voice of Minnesota United, as always, joined by former golfer soccer star Kendra D. St. Aubin. Big show ahead for you, recapping Minnesota United's first victory of the season at the very first time of asking away at Portland Timbers. We'll also preview the next opponent, San Jose Earthquakes, as well as take a look around the world of Major League Soccer. Uh, first, Kendra D. St. Aubin. Thoughts on Portland Timbers and the victory for the Loons on opening weekend? Well, I think uh, we would all agree that the first half maybe wasn't the brightest, but the point is you get three points on the road. The second half was fantastic. The defense held strong. The offense scored when they needed to. Um, and I think they kind of beat Portland at their own game in transition. So capitalized on the opportunities. We got to see some really great stuff from Ethan Finley and Robin Lud contributing, and of course, Luisa Maria and Kevin Molino, just fantastic. So three points on the road to start the season. You really can't ask for anything more. So with all of that in mind, alongside everything I just said, we've also got a fabulous voice to help us through this particular show as well. Um, he's boisterous. He's a brute, many would describe him as. <laughs> I thought he was brilliant in Portland on, uh, on Sunday uh, evening. Uh, Michael Boxall joins us for the show. Boxy, how are you doing? I'm great, thank you. I mean, with that description, I thought there was somebody else in the room. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Carl. Appreciate it. Could have gone much, much more extravagant, believe me. Uh, <laughs> Boxy, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, so whilst we're on that subject, obviously a fabulous way to start the season for Minnesota. Yeah, for sure. I think with the preseason we've had, we were confident that we could get the three points. And um, I thought the way we played, we, we still showed uh, glimpses of how similar we were to last season. But I think... With those three goals in the attacking third, I think we've just added a touch more quality. And, um, I mean, Molino and Finley were absolute class on, on the night. Did anything surprise you from that match? I mean, did anything – I mean, you've been with these guys now for four or five weeks. Was there mm -hmm. anything that maybe you didn't see in preseason that, you know, now that the real games, the games that count, anything that shocked you or surprised you in a positive way? Um, not really. I think because we've had all that time together, I know what to expect from everyone and – Obviously, the season we had last year, our standards are, are up where they should be. And um, I actually think on the night we, we kind of fell sh a little bit short of that. We're a little bit, yeah, not quite there, not quite sharp enough, but still defensively solid. A little slow out the gates, but then slowly but surely uh, took over the game. And um, when you've got the legs of Ethan running at you for 90 minutes, it's, something's got to give, and it, and it did. As you mentioned as well, Boxy, there was an obvious difference from the opening half to the second 45. Mm -hmm. What was that shift? Did Adrian say anything at halftime in particular? Um, not really. I think, I mean, I don't like saying this, but I think we've kind of been slow starters, particularly on the road. Um, we just takes us five, ten minutes to really find our groove. And as long as we stay solid, stay in the game, then we know we give ourselves the best chance to, to really play, play our way into it. Um, and I think for the last, I don't know, 20, 15 minutes of that first half was where we really started to keep the ball more, uh, get into their half with possession, and and then it just kicked on in the second half, and um, possession turned into chances, chances into goals. How much more is the comfort level going into year two with Ike Parra next to you, Ozzy Alonso, Jan Grigish in front of you? So much was made about those new pieces last year, Chase Gasper, Roma Metanier. Now, year two, where you've had a year together, how different was this preseason and heading into the year? 
it's just like getting back on the bike. I think I, th- uh, I think with last year we obviously with those big additions they made an instant impact, but it still took I don't know maybe two two and a half maybe even three months mm-hmm. to really get um, get synchronized and get gelled together. And then once we hit our straps, I don't know what was it May June when we mm-hmm. went on that um, unbeaten run. Then that was kind of where we found our identity, and so to have that come into this season on the back of that, it, it only helped. We, we noticed, uh, particularly in pre-season as well, Boxy, that mm-hmm. no doubt there was an accountability in 2019, but it seems to have gone up a level in 2020. Is there any particular reason as to why that's the case? Um, I think when you have established leaders like Ike and Ozzy come into the team, I think when they just arrive, I think they, they're a bit wary of putting their stamp on things. And now they've been here for a year, uh, they don't have to be the new guy trying to fit in. They well and truly themselves and not that they went last year but I think even more so they can come in and just be themselves be be the real leaders that they have been on their previous uh, silverware winning teams well let's put yourself in that conversation as well because there's so many times when we see you putting your arm around some of the younger players do, do you feel like a leader in this group uh, not really I think I tell myself I'm young so I think I, <laughs> that's how I how I stay young by hanging around all the young boys um I've yeah, been at the club for a few years now, so know how the things work, know how how the gaffer likes to to prepare his team and whatnot. So yeah, I just do what I can to try help the young players fit in, help the new players find their roles and um yeah, just have fun as well. You've had um quite an interesting career, I think it's safe <laughs> to say. Before we talk about the next opponents for Minnesota and San Jose I would love to get your thoughts on on what it is like playing on, on an international level. Um, before we talk about club level, mm-hmm. you've played for the New Zealand national team so many times now, mm-hmm. and in very important games as well. You've even gone up against the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo uh, from time to time. How proud are you to represent your country? Um, I think for me, that's the biggest honour in my career. Anytime, I mean, it hasn't happened too often in the last couple of years, but anytime I get to pull on that jersey, it's something I've always wanted to do ever since I first started kicking a ball around back in New Zealand. So I think, yeah, that's the biggest honour for me. And um, I think it's say the same for for any of the Kiwis at this club or any Kiwis playing football. I know um, you you have a, a certain fondness for, for Wellington Phoenix as well, the club um, in, in Wellington, in, in the Australian A-League, for those unaware. Um, I know I've seen you going back to, to games and whatnot and watching. I know you've got mm-hmm. a lot of friends that, that play over there. Uh, just how much does that club mean to you and and I, I guess I'll ask the, the straight question here Boxy can you ever see yourself playing over there again um <laughs> I'm not sure I think at the moment um got a couple more years left on my deal here and getting old now so I mean we'll have to readdress <laughs> it when when this contract runs out and see if anybody wants me at that point um but no obviously played at a few clubs all around the world and each have had a massive part in me and shaping me about and getting me to where I am right now. Um, yeah, as you say, for like football's been a blessing for me. It's taken me to all corners of the world that I would never have imagined I would have gone to have seen. Um, yeah, it's been a great journey, and I'm, um, yeah, just lucky to be still on it. And growing so quickly in that part of the world, football as well, the A-League continues mm-hmm. to improve every year. Yeah, for sure. I think I think it's a, I like to compare it to the where the MLS was maybe a, a few years ago. Um, obviously they don't have as many cities or the population to support as many teams, but it's it's slowly getting there. 
I think the the lifestyle you can live over there is, I mean, it's pretty unbeatable. Um, most places you're on the beach. Um, Don't rub it in. <laughs> <laughs> nothing against Minnesota, but um, yeah, it's it's a it's a great part of the world. Um, I was I was lucky to play there for a few years, and um, obviously growing up in New Zealand, you kind of want to venture out and mm-hmm. and obviously manage from there to to get to South Africa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just about to say, how how on earth did that come about, and and what were your initial thoughts when you were told, right, that there's an opportunity to go and play in South Africa because massive rugby and cricket nation. Mm-hmm. I, I've heard nothing but positive things from a footballing aspect, but mm-hmm. as someone who played there, what what was it like playing in that league? Uh, I loved it. Obviously, the the infrastructure was still there from the 2010 World Cup, so the facilities were top notch. Uh, some of the nicest people I've ever met in the mm-hmm. world were there. Um, because I'd been in New Zealand for, I think, three years or so, I think I was ready for something new. And this is just one of the opportunities that came about from playing with the national team. So we actually played a game against the South African national team. The coach of the South African national team then uh, then got a job with a club team, which ended up being the club team that I ended up at. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy how the football world works and how small it is and how one game can, can literally like change the direction of your career. Do you have a, a crazy South Africa story? Like any anything in your time there that, you know, you know, just with the culture and the experiences and anything on the um, top of your nothing really stands out, but actually I've got if we go back a little bit, so when I was trying to when I was looking to leave Wellington, I actually went on trial to like Malaysia. um so they fly me over there put me up in this yeah five-star hotel on the beach and it's like everything's great and then we get picked up by the bus to go to a trial match uh like a friendly is probably two hours drive away as we're driving there we like pull off on the side of the road with a pre-match meal and it's like some person in their hut just cooking like (laughs) malaysian delicacies and it's like okay i mean while I'm here, I may as well do it. So just <laughs> join with the boys, um, put the food down, and then on the way to the stadium. And then we would do the warm-up, head back into the changing sheds. And it just happened to be one of the, I think it was like the kit man's birthday. And so we're warmed up, putting our shin pads on, getting ready to go out to the match. And they bring out a birthday cake. I'm like, okay, it's a little bit odd, but <laughs> we sing happy birthday. Um, he blows out the candles. And they start cutting up the cake. And every single player has a piece of birthday cake. <laughs> Literally for the game. Five minutes before we're about to walk out for the game, and then after you so, ate a pre-match meal in a hut on the way, yeah, so God was, only knows what you were eating. Yeah, so it was a little bit wild, and then, um, yeah. So that, so I mean, after that, it didn't quite work out. I was happy to happy to head back. Yeah. How, how did you feel after eating birthday cake on the field? I I, I, I turned it down. Okay. I, I couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh man! Too much of a culture shock for me. So <laughs> a little bit, yeah. yeah. So I said no to Malaysia, South Africa. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's a crazy story. <laughs> my word. But again, an area where where football continues to grow rapidly. I know the leagues in in Malaysia and Singapore and everything just um, continues to grow. There's a lot more money in them nowadays. Um, but in terms of South Africa, mm-hmm. let's not be modest here, Box. You, you play for Supersport United, and it's. Mm-hmm. Not a small club. They're one of the bigger clubs in South Africa. Mm-hmm. When when you were going to away games, did, did you feel, even at home games, I suspect, did you feel that pressure to, to win consistently? Uh, yeah. When you when I first went over there to sign and you speak with the CEO, obviously they've set records for 
winning the league and winning trophies and whatnot. So, yeah, you definitely get that sense. And I think in my two years there, we won two trophies. Um, we had a good group there. Also had another Kiwi, Jeremy Brocky, uh, who's still playing over in South Africa. And it was, it was a great group of guys. And um, obviously they have the big the big clubs like Kaiser Chiefs, uh, Orlando Pirates, who are the big Soweto Giants, who's their derbies, I think they get up to like 100,000 in their games, mm. which is nuts. Um, didn't get to go to one of those, but I would have loved to. But obviously the, the passion that they have for football and um, – just their culture and their, I think, I don't know how to describe it, but like the way their fans sing and dance, mm-hmm. like literally the mm-hmm. entire 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, the, the the Boo Vizellas have kind of faded away. <laughs> After um, the World Cup. <laughs> yeah. But no, their, their support is, is top class, yeah. Um, I was wondering as well, you obviously, after your, your spell uh, over there, came back to Major League Soccer. Mm-hmm. Was that always a name of yours to come back? Um, previously, not really. I think it all kind of changed when uh, my daughter was born. Mm-hmm. And although during my t- two years in South Africa, I never saw a thing that made me question my safety or security. I think when you, I mean, it's different thinking of yourself. And then um, when you've got a two, three month old baby, I think it's a little bit different. So I thought, uh, especially with the amount of time you spend on the road, um, that it was best for us to look somewhere a little bit safer and whatnot so obviously south africa has its reputation for a reason but um never saw anything but we just had to look at other opportunities and um yeah minnesota came up let's go uh let's go way back when you signed your first deal with vancouver whitecaps mm-hmm. um i think i commentated on one of your very first games when it was that uh, crazy 4-4 tie against sporting kansas city oh, yeah. <laughs> um camilo that day i remember scoring a couple of decent goals mm-hmm. um how we ask this about a lot of uh, we ask this question to a lot of players about the differences from collegiate to professional. Mm-hmm. Um, from someone who was obviously not from this country, how did you find the collegiate game and then moving into the the top professional division here in the US? What were the main differences? Um, I think for me in college, I, I was probably like I felt like I was faster and stronger than a lot of people, so that was one of my strengths. And then you come up, you take make the step up, and everyone's like that. <laughs> so yeah, you you might be a little different in college, but in when you step up to the MLS levels, like you're just like everyone else, if not a step behind, you know. And you're definitely a step behind in your thinking, in uh, the way you see the game. So that was a massive adjustment for me. And obviously coming to Vancouver, a expansion side. I mean, I didn't expect to start many, if any, games that season, and, and um, I think due to injuries and whatnot, I got to start the season opener, which was massive for me. I think we beat Toronto, Toronto at home yeah. 4-2, mm-hmm. um, yep. which was, yeah, obviously for the Vancouver fans, it was a great result, great day. Um, fortunately, the rest of the season wasn't wasn't as pretty, but mm. uh, I learned a lot. And as you say, that, I think that Kansas City game was, yeah, one of the highlights. I think we were 3-0 down. Something along those lines. Yeah, it was a then, wild game, mate. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we... Yeah, I think somebody hit the might have hit the woodwork in like stoppage time to not quite to yeah, and we would have won four three or five four. I don't know what the, exactly, yeah. but yeah, that was. I think we weren't the best team, but we were a team that gave everything every day, and um, 
yeah, I think that's what the Vancouver fans appreciated about about that side early on, despite us not getting getting the results. How uh, how much have you changed as a player over the years? If you, if you think about what you were and the player you were in Vancouver to to this very moment, how much have you changed and what have you learned? Um, I don't know. That's a tough question. Haven't really reflected over the years. Um, I think I think my strengths back then are still more or less my strengths now. I think, but through the experience of playing um, a bunch of football games, you just the pictures you see, you just see them over and over again and you just know how to react and uh, I think luckily for me as the MLS has grown um, I'm just surrounded by a lot better players that um, help me out a lot more than they did back then um, yeah so I think I don't know I think I'm pretty similar but maybe just a little more refined <laughs> we talk about you being a leader and a lot of people have brought up the fact that there are two or three Kiwis now on the on the squad is there actually something in that, you know, with James Musa and obviously Noah Billingsley being a rookie, mm-hmm. is there something in that, like a connection or maybe a, a comfort level where they might feel with you or having a fellow New Zealander on the team, or is it just something that we all talk about as as media members and it, you know, doesn't mean as much to you guys? Um, like you treat all newcomers and, and new players and whoever the same. It's just we, we kind of focus uh, on it. I mean, yeah, more or less treat everyone the same, but I think obviously you've got that connection being mm-hmm. from, from New Zealand, but... Obviously, both of those players are, are here in their own right because they're they're good footballers and mm-hmm. um, they offer a lot. I think when they both get their opportunities this season, they're they're going to be great for the team. Um, hey, do you guys talk about home? Do you talk about New Zealand? Does anyone bring a, that up? I had a few conversations with Musa just because we've I know we, I know him from the past and we've mm-hmm. played with each other, um, and I think being a footballer from New Zealand, the journey to make it as a professional is isn't an easy one at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've had conversations about that and, um, I mean, how far we've both come from, from fairly humble beginnings, you know, so it's, it's, it's great to see Kiwis on the stage and obviously we've got Kiwis playing in some of the best leagues in the world. So that's, um, that, that's always great to see. Yeah. Before we talk about San Jose, I did want to ask you this. Mm-hmm. How difficult is it as, as a Kiwi to make it to the professional ranks? Because, as you said, it, it it's not easy at all for for a lot of different players, and we see many a Kiwi playing at a level that I think it's safe to say they should be playing at a, at a higher level, but because of perhaps restrictions. Thought about me, should be playing at a higher level. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I was, no, it is very difficult, and because there's no, because we only have one professional team, and there's probably only a handful of Kiwis on that team. There's no set pathway for to make it as a professional. I think in the US, you've got your academies, you've got your uh, MLS setups. If if you make it, if you push through the the US youth teams, then you've got a great chance of making it. But the same can't be said for New Zealand. You've kind of got to find your own way. So, obviously, players like Ryan Nelson kind of set the tone going through college, which is what I've uh, myself and Noah followed. Um, but then you've got uh, players who just take the chance at 15, 16, who decide to go overseas. So you've got your Chris Wood, who I think he went to Birmingham first. Was his first club maybe. Don't quote, don't quote me on that, but <laughs> he's had a few clubs, so <laughs> forgive me for not remembering all of them. Um, and players like Ryan Thomas at PSV now, who at 17, 18, went to pick Isvola. And yep. obviously, if you're willing to take that risk and, and put in the work, you, I mean, I think if Ryan didn't get injured, I think he would have played a, a Champions League game this year. Uh, obviously, Woodsy's double-digit Premier League goals in 
back-to-back seasons, I, I think. Um, so, yeah, that's not there's not one particular pathway, so you just got to kind of find your own. And then being from New Zealand, you kind of – the All Blacks are the benchmark. Yeah. And obviously they have the pathway where you play for your provincial side, play for your, your regional side, then you're probably going to gonna make it as an All Black. Um, and then so to see that and to see – I mean, those guys are the best in the world at what they do – um, so they really set the bar for for the sports in New Zealand, and I think it's football is just trying to find their own way, just to try to get to that level. And although we never try to get it, I think if if that's your goal, if that's your benchmark, then um, that's your motivation to compete every single day. Well, you got through it. You became a professional and have played at a very very high level, and you've got an important game this weekend away to San Jose Earthquakes. What are the expectations and, and what have you seen from the earthquakes in the early parts of the season so far? Uh, we've got a video session in a little bit. We'll, we'll touch <laughs> on that. But um, I think – I don't think they'll change too much from last season. And I think with the, the coaching staff's game plan that we had last year, I'm sure we'll implement something similar and well, we scored six goals against them last year. So, um no, I mean, I like I like us going to the game. I think we've got a bit more uh, dynamic front four to, to hurt them on the counter. And then um, I think one of the things that hasn't been spoken about enough for me is like Tyler Miller's distribution. Mm-hmm. I think his playing out from the back um, just makes it so much easier for us to, to start counters. Um Think some of his thumping kicks set up set up some of the goals <laughs> on the weekend, which was I don't I don't know we had that I guess they they played out a bit more in at LAFC. <laughs> so we didn't quite see the you didn't get to utilize it. No, exactly. So no, I think we're we're optimistic hitting into to an away game at San Jose. Obviously, they dropped points opening weekend and are looking to to right the ship. But um, I think we're full of confidence after the last few weeks we've had. How different is that mindset going on the road this year? I mean, last year you guys did. It was every year's been a step up mm-hmm. on the road, but this year, does it even pay attention? Is it in your mind as much that you guys are heading out on the road? I mean, we know it's tough to win on the road in this league, but just the confidence this group has heading on the road this year compared to even last season. Um, no, I th- no, I think you're right. I think because we've we keep improving each each and every year. We that's where we keep raising the bar, and I think. Most games on the road last year, we were competitive and stayed in most and picked up quite a few points on the road at tough places. I think I don't think there's too many places we go to this year where we don't consider ourselves favourite. I think that's where our <clears throat> excuse me expectations have shifted. Um, I think we expected to go to Portland to win, and we we definitely expect to go to San Jose and do the same. And yeah, as long as we put in similar similar effort, then I don't see why that wouldn't change. I think the the earthquakes um, started very much in a in a four three three from at least from what mm-hmm. we've seen so far, um, and then Espinosa uh, when a few adjustments were made was given a little more freedom and he really caused several issues for Toronto FC. Mm-hmm. Um, I know not not necessarily within your your realm where you're supposed to be in marking, but how do you contain somebody like an Espinosa and, and keep him at bay? Um. He's the winger, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, on the right side. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I think Chase does an extremely good job at containing most people one v one. Both fullbacks do a great job one v one, and on the rare occasion where they do get beat, um, 
you know, I can easily step outside and I think we're more than well equipped to, to deal with any striker that has any combination of skill, pace, strength. Um, and then I, we know that if one of the other gets beat, then the other one's going to be in a great position for the cross or to clean up the mess otherwise. And then last resort, we've got Tyler, who's already saved our ass a few times in the preseason. Um, so, no, I'm yeah, not too worried about individual players. I think anyone, anyone along the back four is more than confident to, to handle their business against anyone 1v1. I think it's more when we get overloaded, that's when that's when we get issues. My last question then, I know you just said you're not worried about individuals, but what makes a player like Wando mm -hmm. so successful over time? I mean, MLS is leading all-time leading goal scorer, and he's not insanely athletic or really mm -hmm. fast. But what is it about a player like that who – just stands the test of time and always seems to find a way to score. Obviously, it's all in the top six inches. His the way he thinks and the way he moves um, in the boxes. It's led him to yeah the MLS uh, leading goal scorer and yeah. Thing is, if you're watching a game and just in general, you don't he won't stand out and you mm -hmm. wonder how he just gets tappings. But I mm -hmm. think he's one of those players they just got to focus on him for like five-minute period when he's in the boxing, that's when you see him earn his money. Um, yeah, his movement's top class. <clears throat> and I don't know what, yeah, some players just seem to seem to forget about that and just give him two yards of space, which is more than enough for him. Boxy, really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. We'll let you go to your video session now. <laughs> really, really appreciate it. Anytime. Absolute pleasure. Thank uh, you, we'll Mike. tune in uh, as your loons face off against San Jose Earthquakes on Saturday, March 7th at 7pm. Coverage begins at 6.30pm on Fox Sports North and Score North. Visit mnufc.com for more information. Welcome back to the Minnesota United Match Preview Show. Callum Williams here alongside Kindred D. St. Auburn. And be there as your loons face off against New York Red Bulls at Allianz Field for the home opener on Sunday, March 15th at 6pm, presented by Star Tribune. Visit mnufc.com for more information. Really, really can't wait for the home opener on March 15th. But before that... Minnesota United have themselves one more away game, away to San Jose Earthquakes. Uh, Kendra will talk about that shortly. Um, it's safe to say there's a lot of headlines in Major League Soccer that have occurred over the course of the last couple of months. First of all, before we talk about some of the players that have come into the league, instant reaction, we, we found out yesterday that Joseph Martinez um, is going to be out injured and, and out for the entirety of the 2020 campaign. It's a massive blow for Atlanta United. Well, I think it's a massive blow for the league and for even us as just soccer fans. I mean, that was kind of my first reaction. I mean, you know, I saw him go down live when we were watching the game against Nashville and kind of grasp at the outside of his right knee and he's pointing at it and it's a non-contact and you're like, I, I'm going to speculate, but I don't want to speculate, but that doesn't look good. And then he comes back on the pitch and people are like, oh, he's probably fine. And I'm thinking, well, Ethan Finley came back on the field for like seven minutes against Seattle. So you just never know. And massive blow to Atlanta United, 77 goals. I think it was, and you know, double digit assists over the last three seasons for them. And that's a huge number to replace, but me just as a soccer fan and a fan of MLS and just a fan of watching really good strikers. And, um, it's going to be, it's a, it's a blow for all of us because I think we're all fans of his and, um, a fan of good soccer. So 
I don't know how they're going to replace it. They have a lot of solid pieces and really good attacking pieces. We know that, but they don't have another Joseph Martinez currently on their roster. So um, I heard an interesting debate yesterday. Are they MLS contenders right now without Joseph Martinez? And I, I would, I would say I, my answer would probably be no. Now we know there's a summer transfer window. They could go out and get someone else. But if you're just looking at them right now, I don't know that they're as you know high up in that mix as I would have, as I as I obviously thought with Joseph Martinez. Yeah, uh, a name that was mentioned to try and replace him, at least for the short term, was Daniel Sturridge, the England yeah. ex England centre forward, and uh, obviously uh, that was quickly nixed by mm-hmm. the, the world footballing ban that he's been given. He's been banned for the next four months for various different reasons. So, uh, I've never asked you this before. What was the worst injury you ever had as a player? Actually, I didn't have one. Oh, all right then. <laughs> okay. I, I was so, so funny. I mean, I cracked my head open, but that's like not... Oh, that's pretty that's, bad. Yeah, well, it was pretty ugly. It was pretty gross. I definitely waited the extra two hours in the emergency room for the plastic surgeon and didn't want the ER guy to just stitch me up willy-nilly but because um, it is my face. But no, I never had a major injury. And I mean, knock on wood, and you know, now I get injured more often than <laughs> I did when I actually played since I'm just old. But... Um, nope, never had it, never tore a ligament, never broke a bone. Wow. Um, you know, never had to miss time for a major, a major injury. So very, very, very fortunate considering what we see nowadays, especially with ACLs. Not to go into the, the unpleasantries here, but, but cracking your head open, yes. that's, yeah. I would consider that fairly major. How, well, how did that happen? <clears throat> Just a head, head and head collision up for a header. Um, I remember it was, we were on the road at Northwestern and for some reason my coach decided not to start me that game. And so I think I, when I got subbed on shortly after the start of the game, it was like, you know, you're going guns blazing, trying to just, you know, prove like, what the heck were you doing? Not starting me in this game. It was one of those weird, like, I don't know, send a message type of non-starting things and head to head to head and just, uh, my head just blew up. It exploded. It was crazy. I won't do the favor of tweeting out the picture to to anybody, but it was like 14 stitches underneath because it was down to the bone and then 21 on top to put my, my eyebrows in three pieces. Wow. But, you know, we've all had things like that before. It's just not maybe to that extent, but it didn't hurt. I was smiling in the picture. It was one of those that just, you know, the contact and it just blows. So a lot of blood, but not a lot of pain. I'm assuming you're sort of semi-delusional at that point as well because you're kind of thinking how this this has actually happened yeah I didn't even know I actually was injured until I saw the blood pouring out of my head the worst part was a seven-hour bus ride home oh after I got stitched up because we did not fly to Chicago we we busted and so that seven-hour bus ride home you know with your head like throbbing and your eye swelling shut um and the girls the other ladies on the bus just having a good time watching whatever movie we were watching that was probably the the longest, hardest part. And a killer headache for seven hours, yeah, I'm sure, yeah, as well. Yeah, exactly. Oh. You know, it's kind of a good war story, though. Like, when you show up other places and people are like, God, you know, like, at least I had a decent story. I didn't just, like, trip and fall. Yeah, so. you look tough as well. Yeah, I'm assuming people want no interest in, in <laughs> exactly. tackling you, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, in terms of uh, injuries, I think it's safe to say that Martinez one is, is a really, really bad one. And um, we obviously here at Minnesota United wish Joseph Martinez a very, very speedy recovery. Elsewhere in Major League Soccer, and whilst we're on the subjects of, of forwards, I think it's safe to say the biggest acquisition the league made during this offseason was Javier Hernandez, or mm. Chicharito as he's mm-hmm. more commonly known. Um, the, the, there was, in my opinion, there was a sense of inevitability about this because it, it always seemed like every summer he was linked with a move to Major League Soccer. Um, I remember when I was back in England and he was playing for West Ham, 
he was very, very close to a move here then. Mm-hmm. And it always seemed as though he was going to come here. Mm-hmm. Now that he's finally here, and, and it's probably a little bit unfair to judge already because it's only been one game, mm-hmm. but now that he's here, do you still sense the same excitement? Absolutely. I do. I mean, and I think people have to give it some time. I mean, he literally just started training with the team, what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Maybe he wasn't even in for a full preseason. Um, and and he is a very different player. I mean, people keep making these comparisons to Zlatan. It's huh. not the same. Just because no. he's now the the main headline and the striker for LA Galaxy, this is not a like-for-like change. And I think that's what people have to understand. I actually think that LA Galaxy will be a much better team with Chicharito than they were with Zlatan Ibrahimovic in, in the long term. Give, give Chicharito a little time to get his feet under in the chemistry. But what he can do off the ball, his work rate. He's much more multidimensional than Zlatan was. Yes, as someone said, he's not going to strike a 40-yard one-timer, you know, from midfield and hit it upper 90 like Zlatan did in his first match, which blew the roof off. But I think Chicharito in the long run is going to be way more valuable. He's going to contribute more on and off the ball. And um, this team will have a more joyful time playing with Chicharito, I think, than they did with Zlatan. Ask anybody on LA Galaxy, it was very difficult to play with Zlatan because you didn't know where to be, where to go, what he's expecting. Everything was all about him. You know, they didn't play, I don't think, the style that LA Galaxy wants to play with Zlatan, and they will be able to do that with Chicharito. And just a massive, massive signing and a name for the club. So I, I see all positives from this. Anybody who wants to say anything negative, I would probably, you know, have a good debate with. But I think this is all positive for the league and for MLS. Not about LA Galaxy. Absolutely. And not about supporting cast behind him as well. And yes. Alexander Katai, in particular, Christian Pavon as well. I mean, well. his strike. What a goal. <laughs> I mean, beautiful goal. I mean, just un- unbelievable. And I think even then, like, Chicharito attracts attention. He didn't pull the defenders away, per se, because you saw that central defender still kind of trying to figure out if he's going to go go with the ball or go with Chicharito. But those are the kinds of things I think that his movement off the ball will open up play for players like Pavon, who's going to have a fantastic season. Christian Pavon, um, Straight into my fantasy team, by yeah. the way, because I think uh, <laughs> as smart. You, <laughs> well, as you said as well, so much attention and focus has been put on on Hernandez mm-hmm. that I think people forget about the supporting cast mm-hmm. of LA Galaxy. Mm-hmm. And Dos Santos, uh, Dos Santos you know? is, is key to it all. Mm-hmm. Um, the one area where I think the Galaxy still need help is is defensively. Yes, um, I, I know. I said in the previous podcast the other day uh, they had a, a bid turned down for a Mexican defender at Ajax, mm-hmm. um, and I, I know they've gone back in for him. And I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if, if that move happens. But also, I think if it doesn't, you would assume Scalotto has an array of contacts where they could could get somebody in before the window shuts because they, they, they need another defensive reinforcement. But don't you think they kind of... I feel like we've been talking about their back line now for three years. At <laughs> yes. least. You know, so he's got this array of contacts. It just seems to be that they're all midfielders and attacking players that we see him bring in from his kind of depths of his contacts. And... I think as as a lot of teams go, they focus on the attack, they focus on the midfield. That's where most of the money goes, and they're not as focused on the defense. And now, you know, maybe in year two, three of the LA Galaxy just getting absolutely shellacked from that standpoint, they'll start to make those moves and spend some more money and and really focus on that piece of the puzzle because that was that's been their weak point the last few years. And um, if they can get that sorted. You know, then there'll be a more complete a complete team because what we've seen the last couple of years from them on the back line has just not been good enough. 
One of the players the Galaxy backline will have to keep at bay throughout the season is the new sporting Kansas City forward, mm. Alan Polito, who obviously got off the mark on debut in Vancouver. Mm. Fabulous win for Kansas City on opening day there. Um, i got to ask you about that. <laughs> well, let me ask you first. <laughs> because... Um, this is the signing that Kansas City have needed for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, they've not really had a centre forwards who can score goals at the the level that he can. Um, Dom Dwyer had had the season in 2013 where I believe he got 22 goals or something along those lines. Um, but apart from that, you know, Kyrie Shelton is a very good centre forward for, for many different reasons, but he's not a goal scorer. Mm-hmm. Um, Polito is. Mm-hmm. How dangerous with this individual signing and how much more improved are Kansas City now? Well, I'm a little, I'm still a little on the the boat of wait and see because I didn't love how Kansas City looked against a pretty average Vancouver team. I think Vancouver will be better than last year, but I still don't think that they're going to be great. Um, I had a hard time trying to watch Polito, uh, Johnny Russell play with Polito. I feel like in that game, at least, and I've, Clearly haven't seen a ton of Kansas City in the preseason, but and it may get better as the season goes on. But I felt like Johnny Russell was having a hard time trying to figure out where to go and how to play with Polito. And I think that's going to be something for me that's sort of to be determined because I, I don't know Johnny Russell personally, but he seems like the player that maybe could get frustrated if he's not getting enough of the ball or enough of his scoring opportunities. Polito is trying to make his mark right off the bat. You know, everybody knows he's the biggest signing and the most money spent that Kansas City has ever done, you know, more than all transfer windows prior, I believe, or something Mm -hmm. like that, transfer fees. And he scored right away in the 17th minute. Great. So he gets off to a good mark. But for me, it's more just like, how does the whole thing go together? This still didn't look like a Kansas City team that I'm used to seeing in the past from Peter Vermees. The back line still looked a little bit, you know, shaky at times, sketchy at times with, um, you know, Zussi looked like he got frustrated a few times when he would go in on the attack and then the ball's going the other way. Um, so I think some of it just to be determined for me, but Polito, fantastic signing. No, mm. Hands down, no question. Big move for them. He's got to score goals for them. Um, I hope Johnny Russell continues to be involved because I think he's one of those electric players. I think it was Kinda who had the other... Oh. Oh, I mean, Great what goal. a strike. And he started that play, which would, for me, as a former midfielder, like, I love that because he started it and he was able to finish it with a beautiful strike. So I'm still, you know, the jury's still out for me on Kansas City as a whole this year, mm-hmm. but a fantastic signing in Polito. And it was it was nice to see him make his mark because I'm sure it's a little bit of a sense of relief for him. That's a lot of pressure. Yep. Kansas City didn't make the playoffs last year for the first time in, what, 2009 or forever. Uh-huh. Um, so I think it's, it's a good signing, but... I just think that it's how does he work with the other pieces around him and, and how do those other players feel with him now um, getting a lot of the attention? Yeah, I wonder as well, because Kyrie Shelton started that game as yeah. well. Um, he started it out wide, which he's done before. He did mm-hmm. it for New York City FC many years ago, but he, he is naturally a centre forward that you, you can play off of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder, did that... I, I understand why he started, but I wonder, did that perhaps limit what Johnny Russell can do in terms of the, there's not the space you would get if you're pressing with the likes of Daniel Shallowy, you know what I mean? Yes, and I yes. just don't, I, I didn't think that, I was surprised that Shelton starts, let me put it that way, but I understand why. Mm-hmm. I think in the future, it'll more than likely be either Joseph Fernandez or Daniel Shallowy sure. uh, with Russell behind Polito. That yep. wouldn't surprise me at mm-hmm. all. But I, I just thought that, as I said, I understand ball retention massive in Peter Vermees' system and, and particularly mm-hmm. on the road as well. If you can sure. win the ball retention battle, then that's 
fantastic. Absolutely. But um, I, I wondered and I questioned why he started. But hey, look, nevertheless, they got the win and uh, fair play to Kansas City. And it's MLS and it's the West. So who <clears throat> the heck knows what's going to happen? Every, yeah, every, and it's every opening week. day. Like yeah. so much is going to change. Yes. When, we, when we have this conversation again in... <laughs> what, 14 weeks or whatever, yeah. everything is going to have changed completely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I have a, a little bit of uh, a disagreement ahead of us and, and mm. have had one before, um, and it works perfectly working into San Jose here. Mm. Um, Osvaldo Alanis <laughs> <laughs> scored a goal, for those of you unaware, scored a goal in the dying embers of the game against Toronto. It was a free kick from the most audacious of angles. He struck it towards goal. He was essentially on the touchline, right? Yes. He struck it towards goal mm-hmm. and the ball went in, right? And, and it looks fantastic. It looks like a really great free kick. Yep. I am not convinced at all that he's shooting, mm-hmm. but I know you are. Well, I was convinced because I was like, why is the one of the tallest guys on the team in a center back taking a set piece? I mean, after I saw the ridiculous strike and it seemed like it had way too much bend on it to be a ball played in to a teammate. So he either completely mishit it or he did exactly what he wanted to do and put mm-hmm. it top corner, right? So I'm thinking, is this guy like who, you know, dying embers of the game, 95th minute, whatever it was, why do you have your tallest center back taking a free kick instead of in the box? So that was like my secondary reaction, you know, like, well, he must have been shooting. And then um, and then I texted my source <laughs> after the game and I was like, so was you shooting? And he said, it all counts the same. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's our answer. And I said, but he's a tall center back taking a set piece in the 95th minute. Like, why is he? Why wouldn't he be in the box? And he said, well, to be fair, he had scored on a, a laser of a set piece in another game. Um, against, uh, what did he say, against Toronto with Chivas on a set piece as well. I mean, Mm. who knows? He's kind of a soccer guy. So, Um, uh, I mean, yeah, it all counts the same. But, you know, I don't know. I just, I really felt, on first thought, I did not think he was shooting. But as I watched the replay, I did think he shot. Mm. But, you know, whatever. Here they're there. It's like possible goal of the week. I don't know how they announced that yet. I don't think so, no. But yeah, um, but I know we had we were texting about it afterwards, and I, I said, was like, "There's a, no way." Like, <laughs> was, what a strike! And you're like, not entirely convinced he's shooting. And then four hours later, our producer Morgan's like, "What shot are you talking about?" Because yeah. <laughs> he was he was working a different game. <laughs> there's there's no way. So for for me, when you look back at the technique and the way he strikes the ball, right? When he when he hits it, mm-hmm. he he hits it where it almost knuckles. So so he's he's slightly leaning. He's leaning back, but he, but he leans forward at the last minute, which, which if you get it right, <laughs> the ball goes up and then down very quickly again. And to me, he's whipping it in to a dangerous area towards the back post yeah. where, where there are a couple of options yeah. um, from what I can remember. Mm-hmm. I just think he's whipping it into a dangerous area yeah. because um, um, I guess what we call it in football is, is the, the corridor of uncertainty. It's, it's yeah. between the goalkeeper yeah. and the defenders. The defenders can't touch it. Right. If the they goalkeeper do, doesn't know if he should come out. Right, because it's going to go, if the defenders yeah. touch it, yep. it's going to go back. So we're actually, our producer Morgan Lubin has got up the tape actually, so we're re-watching it. And I just think... The way that he whips it in, mm-hmm. and because of his body shape, mm-hmm. it just, for me, it suggests that he's just whipping it into a dangerous area. Yep. And it just so happens to look very good, yeah. and it goes into the far corner. Yeah. I think for me, and you know what? And then I think that that's probably the best way to put it. He's whipping it in for a dangerous play, and whatever happens, happens. If it gets deflected for an own goal, great. 
if if it goes in the goal, great. If his own teammate gets a head on it, great. Like you're literally just putting it in, as you said, the corridor of uncertainty and whatever happens, happens. And for him, it happened to go in. You saw the three Toronto players. They're all running back at their own post towards mm-hmm. the ball. So they're not going to touch it. No, either. no, no, no. You know, and the goalkeeper, I mean, you could you could argue that maybe he should have gotten a touch on it. But that's mm-hmm. I mean, it was coming in so quickly and with such a lot of traffic in front of him. So ultimately, he accomplished what he wanted to accomplish, whether and because it went in the net one way or the other, whether a teammate hit it or he hit it himself or everyone was afraid to touch it because they were going to get an own goal. So I don't know. I mean, either we can agree to disagree or we can, also, <laughs> <laughs> we can ultimately say that he just accomplished what he wanted and he put it in a dangerous spot and it just happened to go in. Yeah, let's agree to disagree. And you know we? what? Welcome to the league. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. You know, I mean, my goodness, they were celebrating like they just won the cup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was the game-winning goal, you know, because it was so unexpected, I think. Yeah, and I wanted to get onto that, Kendra. Is is that a sign of, of what to expect from San Jose this season in terms of expectations? I, I know it's, it's early, it's day one, and it's a last-minute, um, goal to, to to get the tie and everything, but I, I just couldn't. I, and I'm not I'm not putting the earthquakes on a pedestal here, or, or suggesting they are inferior by any stretch. Imagine if the Galaxy would have done that. Mm-hmm. Would they have celebrated like that? Um, maybe it depends on who strikes it. Mm. You know, I mean, because I, I wonder how much that played into it too, because it was this guy that you're not expecting to hit sure. that shot in the eight, in the 95th minute. I do think it's a little bit of a sign of just the energy and the passion of this team, this camaraderie, this chemistry that they have. I do think that there is a lot of pressure on them and on Matias Almeida to win at home. I mean, they've struggled with crowds there for years now. And a lot of California teams do in general. It, it seems like to me for all sports, because there's always something better to do in California mm-hmm. than, you know, just to, to, to just be outside. But Bar LAFC. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. <laughs> Um, so I think there's a lot of pressure there, but I, to me, I mean, yeah, they celebrated, I think a little bit because it was, you know, it was unexpected at that moment and they got a draw from it. And for me, what, what San Jose is, is I actually, when I watched that entire game last weekend, the possession that they do have is very purposeful and, and, and fast. And, you know, it, you can tell everyone's on the same page more so than last year, because last year they were just learning Matias Almeida's system and everybody believes in what they're doing and the purpose and the cause. And, and I think that, um, they just need to find a way to finish to score goals. Because if you look at every stat, they dominate in just about every quarter yeah. or, or um, category. They outshot Toronto. They outpossessed Toronto. They outpassed Toronto. They, you know, there's some pieces there for San Jose if they can just get it together and finish in that final third. And the second game against Minnesota last year, I was not at that game, but you can probably remember that game. Minnesota probably should not have won that game by all accounts. Like they were getting shelled by San Jose from rewatching it, but they didn't finish their chances, yeah, right? Yeah. So um, I don't know. I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the Galaxy or somebody else, if they had celebrated like that, they might be lambasted just because that's the way L.A. is. Right, um, right. But I think for San Jose that um, this could be a really good year for them if they could finish if they can finish their chances and finish, figure out a way because everyone loves Matias Almeida there. They, they just, I don't know what he's got them just, you know, believing in what they're doing and that um, he really pumps the teammates up and he pumps the players up and he builds their confidence and, I mean, knows the right way to get at them. And um, so we'll see what, what happens if they don't fizzle out this year because they did last year. Well, at the heart of it all is a boy from Bloomington, Minnesota yes, as yes. well, uh, mm-hmm. Jackson Yule. Mm-hmm. 
I know is very, very well thought of in the US soccer yes. camp. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know Matias Almeida really likes him as well. Mm-hmm. How key is, is he oh, to Oh, I think forward? he's good. I mean, there are certain players that have absolutely thrived under Matias Almeida that were really kind of falling off. Vaco Kashishvili is one of them for me. Um, and then Jackson Ewell, he apparently, and I've spoken, you know, Danielle Slayton mentioned this on the broadcast, and I'm going to talk to her too when we go to San Jose, that he is a teaching coach. He loves young players. He loves to kind of develop them and build them. And I think Jackson Ewell is one of those players. He's kind of coming to his own under Matias, and then he's thrived with U.S. men's national team. I mean, Greg Burhalter loves him. I've been really impressed with him. And how cool to see it. A, a boy from Minnesota, I think mm. he played at UCLA, if I'm not misremembering. Um and I think that uh, that's just it's it's fun to see that you know, and he's yeah. just calm. He on the ball, and I was talking to Manny Lagos the other day at training. We were talking about San Jose, and um, I said, you know, it's just fun to see a player um, see it right before your very own eyes, kind of the learning curve happening, especially in that position. That's a tough spot to play as a young player. And so, yeah, we'll we'll see him this weekend. And um, crazy enough, his dad was my ODP coach. No way. When I was <laughs> like. 12, 13, 14, 15, and I never put it together because I didn't know what Mark's last name was. He was always just like, Mark, our coach. And then I did a a foot golf thing with him with the University of Minnesota like two summers ago and uh, put it together that it was Jackson's dad. It was just like this crazy full circle thing when he walked up. I was like, that Mark? Oh, my gosh, this is crazy. So it's kind of fun to see, and we we still stay in touch, so. Cool. It's a small yet large yes. world, isn't it, football? Yes. It really, really is. <laughs> uh, what do we make of the San Jose Earthquakes in general, though? I mean, they, they lined up in a 4-3-3 against Toronto mm-hmm. FC. That changed a little bit mm-hmm. later on in the game. Um, are they subject to being um, targeted down down the wings? Because I, I know I noticed mm-hmm. Lima and, and, and Thompson were very, very high. Mm-hmm. Um, Ericsson uh, would almost at some stage drop next to Yule to get the ball and, and, and distribute. Where are they best to be beaten at? Um, I think, well, like a lot of MLS teams this year, with the fullbacks going forward and attacking so much, with Tommy Thompson and Nick Lima being attacking outside backs, very attack-minded, I think that is where you can get at them. And we talk about this, I think we, we talked about this the other day, it's who's going to win that battle, who's going to be on that front foot first with the outside attacking positions. So if Chase Gasper and Roma Mantanier are getting on the front foot early against San Jose, then it forces Nick Lima and Tommy Thompson to think before they go forward and they join in with Espinoza or um, totally spacing it. Uh, Erickson. Yes, Erickson. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yeah, Erickson. Um, it, it forces them to think twice about it. So I think that um, that is the space. And I think, you know, uh, I, Tommy Thompson is not a true defender like that's not the position he's always played his whole life and he's learned it under Matias Almeida so we saw a couple mistakes from him last game against uh Toronto that he could you know kind of be taken advantage of at times defending so I think same thing um Roma Metanera did not think had a great game against Portland but not not bad just not what we're used to seeing from Roma Metanera so if Roma Metanera and Chase Gasper can get in and get up uh, and still get that great movement from Luis Maria up top, then I think really, really good chance for Minnesota to take a game at San Jose. Come home with six points. 
It wouldn't be. It would be fabulous, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be wonderful? Uh, intriguing and enticing stuff, as always, from uh, Kindred D. St. Aubin. And, of course, our uh, big thank you, a huge thank you. Uh, our thanks to Michael Boxall uh, and our producer, Morgan Lupin. And uh, tune in, of course, as your loons face off against San Jose Earthquakes on Saturday, March 7th at 7 p.m. Coverage begins at 6.30 p.m. on Fox Sports North and Score North. Visit mnufc.com for more information. <laughs>